Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Dr. Joshua Black. Dr. Black is a grief researcher, speaker, author, consultant, online course instructor, and host of the Grief Dreams podcast. He has focused all of his MA and PhD research in psychology on investigating dreams and bereavement, also known as grief dreams, and continuing bonds for many types of loss, including prenatal loss and pet loss. Most of his academic research and publications have specifically been on dreams of the deceased. Dr. Black is considered one of the world's leading academic experts in grief dreams. Due to the lack of academic research in this field, Dr. Black has focused his efforts on raising awareness on grief dreams through doing talks, interviews, and developing an online grief dreams course. Additionally, he developed a grief dreams website, www.griefdreams.ca, and runs several social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. You can follow him by searching for at Grief Dreams. Hi, Dr. Joshua Black, and thanks so much for joining us today as we're going to talk about bereavement dreams. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're, We're really excited. And as I mentioned to you, I know a few people that are waiting for this episode to launch. So there's interest in this topic as you might imagine. Can you first tell our listeners how you kind of came to specialize in dreams, especially this type of dreams, and to what extent have you researched this topic? So the first part is about these dreams and how I really came to understand their value. And for me, it was a personal loss. I didn't, even though there were these dreams out in pop culture, I didn't really know about them. Like, well, I wasn't conscious of them in those areas. And so for me, it's like my dad's death was a thing that this allowed me to even value and understand a little bit what people go through after loss. And at that time, honestly, I didn't really care. I didn't get it, you know, and I feel bad for all those people who had losses prior to my own loss because I, I, I regret the way I behaved and I felt like I could have done a much better job. So for, for me, I was in undergrad and I was, trying to be an elementary school teacher. That was my, my dream job or my dad really put that in my, my head as a, as a kid. And I, and I tend to go that way. And I, was, I did a lot of volunteer work with kids and got really good grades. And so that's, that was my, my, my focus. And then in my fourth year of the undergrad, my dad died and I can't really explain what I went through because it was, it was, it was such a weird feeling. It was the first time I felt, I guess what you call it, grief. Mm-hmm. And just like the, the thoughts that went through my head. I remember when I first got the phone call from my aunt, like I thought, like we were supposed to meet two days prior and he just never showed up. So I just thought he forgot. Oh. He sometimes got headaches and he needed to sort of uh, take the day off. And so I just thought, oh, she's just, you know, he wasn't feeling well and we'll yeah. connect when he, whenever he can. But when I got the phone call that he died, it completely shook me because I didn't think that was a possibility. It never crossed my mind. And, and the amount of emotion that came was, was new. 
and scary in a way. I just kept crying. I've never cried that much before in my entire life. And I didn't know what, what to make of it, how to stop it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you do? And so you just like, for me, it was just, I didn't know, but it kept coming out. And then the thoughts with that on like, I wanted to drop out of school. I remember to go to Israel because that was like a trip he wanted to take me. That was like our next trip together. Right. And, you know, so you make all these irrational decisions. I'm glad I had a partner at that time to sort of told me to settle down and to just allow the grief to, to work through and to go back to school right. <laughs> and to Good not, advice. Good not, advice. not drop out. Yeah. So it's always great to have that around you. And so after he died, I was, I cried for about three days. I was processing those emotions. I did a eulogy. And then the next day after that, I went back to school. And what was interesting is I didn't cry a tear after that. Hmm. It just sort of went away. But what also happened was the world turned gray. So all the color was gone and I wasn't feeling happy or sad. It was just in this world. And I went back. So I went back to work, went back to school, continued to get good grades. But it wasn't until three months later I had this dream and I wasn't asking for it. It just happened and it completely changed me. I still sit here today not understanding what happened, but I can tell you the impact was immense. And so the dream was very straightforward and simple. I was on my bed and I see my father in my bedroom at the end of the end of the, the room. And he was looking through some of my stuff and he looked healthy. Like he looked so at peace, best way to put so light. And I, I have to sort of put a, why I say it's important was because he was, he had a hard time regulating his emotions in life. He had a lot of trauma. He used alcohol a lot to numb his pain. So he had this heaviness to him always in life and he carried that with him. And so when I saw him, it was different. So it wasn't a memory of him. This was like a different, something else was going on for it to make him light. And I guess just happy. And so I walked up to him, like really excited to see him. And I said, I'm going to miss you acknowledging the loss. And I said that I loved him and we hugged and I woke up and it was such a beautiful experience for me in the dream. And then when I woke up, I felt something changed and I still to this day don't know exactly what that was or, or how it came to be, but I felt happiness. I could feel my sadness again and like, it, it changed. It changed me in many ways. And, you know, looking back after doing all the research and stuff, I see that, you know, one of the blocks for me was I wasn't able to say goodbye. And so that definitely allowed that to occur. But also the thing I never would have thought of was to express my love and how important that is. And for, for like, he never said it to me in the longest time. And I haven't said it to him. So it's just like that thing we just did as guys in our culture. But looking back and seeing other people's dreams moving forward, there seems to be a lot of importance for us to voice our our love to others. Right. And that gave me a chance to do that. And so I'm not sure if it was that, it was probably that, but there's also, you know, I said there's I felt such a peace in that moment and so so much love in that moment, that experience. Like I'm thinking that probably also helped with how I felt when I woke up because moments of peace and love can really change us in many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives our mind a, a, a rest from the constant struggles and worry. And so I'm not sure if that moment in time where you just have really, there's no worries. I even knew he was dead and I wasn't sad. I was, you know, like, I was still, right, so, right. you know, it's such a weird place to be in, but I wonder what the mind can do in that playground, what the body can do to help you process some of these feelings that are stuck too. So, 
anyways, I had that dream. I was brand new is the best way to put it. And I kept that close. I didn't tell anyone about that dream. Not that I can remember anyways. And that was where my love of that dream came from because it definitely saved me. I would have carried on with the rest of my life thinking that that's the way just life would be after a loss. That's what grief is. Like, how would I know? And then I didn't actually, so that like I carried it with me. I got into teacher's college. I turned it down. I just didn't feel right. And that's another weird thing about the story is something I spent my whole life trying to, trying to achieve. In the moment I, I, I get a chance to get in, I turn it down. And I don't, still to this day, I don't fully understand it. I was just trusting that feeling. And, you know, I've had enough experience to know that you should <laughs> when, when you get that. It's <laughs> the best way to put that. And so I turned it down and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, I had a psych degree at that time, a BA. And so I, you know, it wasn't as many things as I thought I could do with a psych degree. And none of the jobs were fulfilling that I was taking at that point. So I wanted to find some kind of fulfillment. So I volunteered at a local hospice that offered bereavement support. And I did one-on-one and group support. And people kept asking about these dreams. And so this is really where the story of me wanting to research the dreams comes from, because they kept asking questions that I had no answer to. So some of the questions was, why don't I have dreams? Um, Other ones, why I'm having negative dreams? What does this dream mean? You know, like, or sharing very positive dreams and really just looking. So I went to the research to try to help those people who had a lot of questions and there just wasn't anything there I could give them. And that's when I had a, a moment in time where I said, like, could I do this? I didn't want to do it. Like I, have, I had no interest in research or you know, statistics or anything like that. But there was a moment in time. It's, you know, is this something you want to do? So in my head, I said, no. And then I said, but you know, could you do it? And then I'm like, it would be interesting and it would fulfill some type of meaning on my own loss. And I am really intrigued by it all. And I have my own and it's very powerful. So I said, okay, I'll try, but I'm not guaranteed anything. And so as long as I give it an effort, I can say I did. And, you know, we can close the case if I don't get in. And just the way life works, like I got into my master's and then from there I got into my PhD, which is its own roller coaster. And I had a crazy learning curve, want to drop out in both circumstances. But I kept going and, you know, a lot of people gave me a lot of support to breathe and how important this was. And that helped me through some of the struggles too. But that is when actually when I got in, I realized how big this landscape is of grief dreams. Because at that moment, I only went in because I had a couple of questions. But now <laughs> I'm like, oh, like I'm so happy I went through this and learned so much because now I can share what I've learned with others. So it doesn't take as long for them to realize the vastness and importance right. of this topic for the bereaved. Yeah, that it, it's fascinating. It's a great story. I love your dream. It's beautiful. I think you should put it in a memoir and get a book out there because it's it's very touching. It really is. Is it common for people to dream of the people they've lost? Is it pretty common in your experience? That was the, one of the questions I had too when I started. I would have thought it was more rare because there wasn't any research. So I thought it was just something that happens maybe some of the time. Uh-huh. But there wasn't really any kind of, you know, stats out there that, right. you know, really looked at that. So when I did the research, that's one of the things in my PhD I looked at. And so after spousal loss, what was interesting is 86% of, of people had uh, a dream within the first year or two. Mm-hmm. That's almost everyone. And when you look at just dream research in general, it's found, what it has found is that 10% of the population doesn't remember dreaming right. at all. Right. And so when you take that 10% in consideration, most people 
seem to have at least one dream of the deceased huh. within within like I said a year or two right. after after pet loss we did pet loss study too and 78% so we looked at dogs and cats <laughs> no lizards or fish this time and no lizards yeah. or fish. <laughs> yeah. i just got a parrot no parents <laughs> no we don't so i don't know what the data is on that <laughs> but okay. when it comes to uh, dogs and cats anyways 78% within the first 6 months had a dream of the deceased and you know as time goes forward i could see within a year or two those numbers would have increased like yeah. the spousal loss yeah. and then pregnancy loss so miscarriage and stillbirth 58% of people reported dreaming of the deceased child. And I think that for me is very fascinating because they've never met the child, but yet here they are in a dream. And so it's not a memory, it's something else. So there's something really interesting about these types of dreams when the deceased is a part of it. Huh. No, it's interesting. I fit in every one of those categories. I lost my husband about three years ago and I can't recall any dreams right away, but probably within the first year, I, I did have a dream with him in it. It was kind of a bizarre dream, and he was a person he never was in real life. Also, I've had dogs. Uh, recently lost a couple dogs in that three-year period as well. And, you know, I've had dreams of the dogs. I did lose a baby. A uh, baby was stillborn early mm -hmm. and before Stephanie was born. I have never, or there's not a dream that I can recall. I may have had one and, and don't remember it, but not a dream I could recall. But the part of those three categories that sticks out to me is when we lose a pet, a cat or a dog, versus when we lose a spouse, we are more quick to dream about our four-legged friends than we are of our spouse. Is there any significance in that, Dr. Black? <laughs> well, I, I don't know how true that is, but um, because some people may dream of the partner quicker. Right. And I, and I think you know, there's there's a lot of research that needs to be done to try to understand when people get those dreams. And is it based on like the timing? How important is that timing? Right. And also I can see if there if someone said like I can see like with a, maybe a, a child or, a, you know, someone like a friend when you're not together all the time, maybe it takes a little longer. But when someone that's supposed to be right in front of you isn't, I can see that happening maybe quicker. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like the, the numbers are still pretty, they are They're pretty fascinating yeah, on how much but exactly when they come, like which if one relationship has a frequency earlier on than others, I don't think so. I haven't seen that and no one's really ever reported that. So it's interesting if it happens to say like, because you've had multiple losses, you could see right. that. It's interesting. It's something like further research should look at because maybe there is something there that we can learn. Huh. It's fascinating, especially when you put the numbers down there. Um, it's, yeah. it's very curious to me. You mentioned before like negative dreams. Uh, are there different types of dreams that people have when they're considering people they've lost? There is. <laughs> and, and so I'll go through it. So when we talk about grief dreams, it's actually like an umbrella term. And so at first there's these dreams that are very symbolic of the loss. And a lot of people who have any kind of loss or trauma, they, they probably have a lot of negative dreams in general that they remember. And I, I should say that just in general, when we talk about dreaming, Research has shown people have more negative dreams in general, and that's because dreams are related to our waking life. So if we're stressed or we're worrying or if we're watching the news before bed, we're going to get a lot of negative dreams and a lot of negative images that come into play. And after trauma, what they found is it, our dreams become even more consistently negative. So after grief, you'd think you'd have more negative dreams. And this is where it gets really interesting. So an example of sort of having a symbolic dream after loss would be you're running by a mountain and the mountain maybe collapses on you and you're gasping for, for air okay. kind of thing. And so in waking life, 
probably the world's probably feeling really heavy and you're having a hard time with it, right? So you can really symbolic that struggle and maybe even helplessness, the mountains on you, the helplessness that you're going through. And then there's these dreams where the deceased isn't present, but there are these dreams that have symbolism of the deceased in some way. So maybe it could be a hospital where they died at or, you know, their favorite boat or something like that. Or they have characters talk about the deceased. So it could be friends offering condolences, asking how you're doing. It could be God or an angel asking or telling you about the deceased in a way. And then the last one is that's the dreams of the deceased where a lot of people want to talk about and where most of my research has been on is where these the deceased is in the imagery in some way. It could be in the, like the human form. It could be as a cloud or an animal uh, or they're talking through a phone or something. So you hear their voice in some way. And within those dreams, we would expect that those dreams with the deceased is in it to be negative also, just based on the research. Right. But what is interesting is a lot of people take these dreams as different. And a lot of people even say they're visitations. And I can understand why in that way, because they're so different from mm-hmm. normal dreams, quote unquote, like they tend to be maybe even more vivid for people. Right. But the strange thing in the research is that they tend to be more positive than negative. And so it actually, it's the opposite that's true. And so just out of the numbers, looking at spells of loss, it was 92% had at least one of these positive dreams of the, the deceased and 40% had one of the negative dreams. So it's a complete reversal on what you would expect. And what was interesting is those who had a negative dream also had like 90% also had a positive dream of the deceased. And so the theory goes that people probably have these negative dreams as they're dealing with the the vastness of the loss or the trauma of the loss. And then those dreams may change to something more positive as you move forward. I've seen it on my podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that change happen. And other people have too, so I'm thinking that, but research hasn't done those longitudinal studies yet to actually like verify that. But same thing, you know, with uh, pet loss, pet loss was even less. It was like uh, still 90% when it comes to a positive dream, but around 20% when it comes to a negative dream. So there's something else going on and you really see that it's probably doing a couple different functions for us as a mechanism of survival. So when I look at these, I did research on just the function of these dreams. There are a lot of different types of, I said a lot, a lot of different functions, but when we look at those positive dreams, they can be very helpful in our grief process. Okay. Helpful how? Oh, well, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things is providing an opportunity to encourage continuing bonds. Okay. And so, you know, what that is, is just maintaining a bond with the deceased after death. And that could be just thinking about them, talking about them, reflecting upon your life with them. And so all different kinds of ways. I've done research, other people have done research on the adaptiveness of that as you work through your grief. There was something like back in the day, like not not that long ago, like like 50, 100 years ago, where that was actually discouraged. Yeah. So Freud kind of brought the idea that we shouldn't be thinking about people after loss. Anyway, so we know that's not the case. (laughs) So so this actually can help us with that. And so when we're awake, we can start thinking about them and really foster that. The other thing is regulating our emotions is a, a big part of it, too. That's what happened with me. I was really, say, one would say depressed. I wasn't feeling anything. And that allowed me sort of to have that, the joy and to have that love again to really set things, set things up again. And also the, the grief work in general. So the continuing bonds is one piece, but these dreams can offer guidance, can offer support and decisions that people are feeling, can offer grief wisdom, uh, in a lot of different ways. And that is for me a very beautiful aspect of this 
it's not even just said like there's it's very loving these dreams are very very loving and they the deceased voices their love in a lot of ways and i think that would probably also be a function of these dreams is to allow remind people that they're still loved in many ways and i think when someone dies people forget that you know it's not like we have everyone around us that provides this love you know it's, it's one of those things right. that we have a almost a finite <laughs> or have a we have a limited ability to have those. It takes time to develop those bonds. And I think right. that's the same thing with animals too, right? It takes time to develop that. And when one goes, what happens is we don't have that anymore, quote unquote, in front of us to remind ourselves. And so for me, it really allows me to sort of think about what is the, what is the place of love when it comes to the grief journey and how does it reflect loving ourselves? Because a, lo a lot of times, the deceased is constantly reminding the individual that they, that they're loved. And so I think the part of the grief journey is also learning to love oneself without that reminder that someone loves you, whether, whatever that is. And so they said there's multiple different reasons, you know, for these dreams, but it's very, very beautiful that they occur and you see them across cultures, which is nice. And I want to say something about the negative dreams because there's a purpose for them too. As much as they're not positive and, you know, people really don't like having them. There's a lot of wisdom in those and under, helping us understand what we're trying to work through in waking life. And for most of us, I know, especially for me, I can get tricked very easily on how I'm doing in waking life. It's a skill to have the emotional intelligence and our minds are really good to feel that we're okay, even though we're suffering in many ways. And so it, it gives us a guidance on maybe what we're actually working on or trying to deal with or what we need to deal with that we're just avoiding in waking life. And so that that's one of the big things and also processing trauma. So these negative dreams of the deceased, which could be them dying again, as they actually did, could be them dying in a different kind of way or even being chased or being berated in a way. I've seen those, you know, those also have some clues in them and processing trauma, especially if someone's dying again, there is probably some trauma involved with that individual. And the mind is trying to work through that. And it takes time. And I always like to say, like, our, our dreams can be our best friends. You know, the true friends that tell us the truth about who we are right. and where we are and can provide us that support in times of that. So I think, you know, there's so much wisdom within these dreams, but for whatever reason, people have just avoided them. And hopefully now people are now rethinking about that and realizing, I wonder, you know, what, what these dreams are actually doing for those who are grieving. It's so interesting that the, the entire thing of dreams is just fascinates me. So the, these pleasant dreams, the positive dreams, and I can just imagine some of them must be beautiful. Is there a way that we can set ourselves up so that we can have more of those dreams? Have I made a magic pill or potion? No, <laughs> I, not so much of that, but, you know, just when you talk about seeing the news and getting a lot of negative information and then having negative dreams, does it work for the positive side, too? If you had a beautiful dream about the spouse who died and you just say, oh, you know, and I feel so good about myself and and I feel renewed. I, I want to do that again. Is there any tips or tricks where somebody can set themselves up? Maybe. Yeah, it's tough to like conjure up these dreams. Like that's the uh, if, if I could, I'd probably be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> but, but there are, you know, there are techniques out there. I haven't looked at it in the sense of using them for having a dream of the deceased, they like those dreams seem to be very special and very they come when they come like I, it's very difficult to to know sort of to have them even again if you even had one to begin with but what you can do is dream incubation has been a thing across time and to think about a dream and 
really focus on a dream you want to have that would be loving and positive could influence your mind to remember one of those types of dreams. And so that's always a way to go. I know some people said they prayed for, I think it's very similar. They prayed for one, but really what they're doing is they're, they're trying to can conjure up one of these dreams and it's happened, but it doesn't happen all the time. And it's very mysterious on when they come and when you, when you remember them too. Cause yeah. I, my theory is that they're probably, we're probably dreaming of them more than we're actually remembering them. And I have research to, to yeah. back that up. Yeah. Interesting. We always like to consider children in our podcast as well. And occasionally children can have dreams that for them are quite troubling or even frightening. And if it includes someone who has died recently, I imagine parents may very well struggle to know how to handle that with their children. Do you have any, like maybe guidance, just basic guidance for parents that might be dealing with that? Yeah, and I think that's lovely that you brought them in because a lot of people forget about children in the grieving process. And there has been one study that looked at the dreaming frequency of children after parental loss. And what they found was 55% of children had a dream of their deceased parent, which is huge, right? Like, like almost half of of every child that's grieving is dreaming, maybe dreaming of the deceased. And so what are we doing with that? And it said like they have positive and negative themes also and their understanding of dreams could be much different or they have, they're, especially the, the more little little ones right. because right. they're still trying to understand what death is and that can be very confusing for them. But yeah, so like the, how you work with children in their nightmares or dreams, it'd be the same way you'd work with adults. And the biggest thing is to educate them on dreams that, you know, they, re- they re- represent our waking life. And the good movie for that is Inside Out. I don't know if you guys seen that movie before. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it has a, a, a big thing about dreams, and they really yeah. showcase how it reflects our waking life in many ways. And so that takes away the the scariness of it all. Because I know, like, when I was a kid, I had nightmares all the time. And my parents, coming from a Christian home, they said it was from the devil. Because they didn't understand it. And now I know it wasn't from the devil. I, I don't think. <laughs> what I... What I feel or what I feel that, you know, it's from is because I was living in a very chaotic environment. I said my dad had emotional issues. My mom's in the hospital. My dad also had drinking issues and also at, at school I was getting bullied and stuff. And so both environments I was spending most of my day in were, were troublesome for me. And so it was my mind was trying to sort of work through that. And I can see that now, but it was nice if, you know, because <laughs> that would have been a much better approach because I devalue dreams and I, I didn't want to remember dreams because right. of that. So. Yeah. It's just understanding that it's re- they're teaching that these dreams are coming from our trying to process our emotions. Okay. And then when someone has a negative dream, what's a great tool to use to reduce any kind of distress? Because the distress is the other thing that comes out of these dreams is to rescript the dream. And so there's different ways to be able to do that. One of them is to just change the ending. So it's something more positive. So a good one is, you know, with kids and monsters chasing you. You wake up, you're out of breath kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So now you would then rescript the dream by changing the ending. So you're getting chased. You turn around. Oh, it's actually a teddy bear. I give it a hug. We sing a song. Oh, and I then like that's that. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you do is then the person or the child or the person, whatever, you'd right. rehearse that new dream in your mind. And research has shown it decreases um, the negative dreams from occurring, that type of negative dream from occurring. And, you know, there has been some suggestion that it actually could increase that type of dream occurring. So it's just, you know, what it does is reduces the avoidance and reduces the distress, which is really what you want. And so you know, that's a great quick tool to be able to use. And it's very simple. That's a great suggestion. And I know sometimes as parents, 
we can get very creative in how we handle things. And sometimes we can find ourselves doing or saying something that probably isn't the best option. So I like that rescripting the dream. I think that's a great concept. Now, I was traveling through your website, getting to know you better, and I ran across something that interested me, and it's a dream builder worksheet. It mentioned it's for support groups, bereavement support groups. Can you just explain a little bit how that would be used? So, yeah, that's actually very similar to that dream incubation exercise Mm -hmm. that we talked about. And so one of the issues I had with bereavement counselors and people who work with groups of the bereaved was that they didn't want to talk about grief dreams because not everyone had them. And so people get jealous. And so why bring it up if not everyone can be included? So I put on my thinking cap and I said, you know what, what is something that we could use so everyone's included? And everyone could make up a dream that they'd want to have tonight if they could. And that really what what the exercise is about. And so they really build this dream. It takes like 10 to 15 minutes. It's pretty in-depth because a lot of times people just say, oh, I just want to see them or I just want to hug them or hear the voice. No, let's actually think about what do you want it actually to be? Because there's so many variables from the environment to, to what you sense, what's said. And so that's what it really goes through. And, you know, it's amazing to sort of see the reactions of the bereaved when they work through that. I think it's just phenomenal. And it's just another way to increase the conversation on that. Because, you know, in a support group, once people build the dream, you can ask about it. There's so many times I've learned stuff about people just because of that, that I wouldn't have known prior. And I always ask a similar question at the end of my podcast. And sometimes I'm like so shocked that, you know, we got something so new from after like an almost an hour conversation that I never was even touched on, but yet it was so important to the individual, like, you know, the environment where they were, even like the hat they had on and what, how meaningful that was to the the person. So that's really what that came from. But yeah, you can do it one-on-one. You can do it with yourself or with yeah. your kids. It's just one of those tools that it's interesting to see what people want to dream about. Cause it's going to be different from you to your, your loved ones. Sure. I, yeah. I think it's a great tool. It will help people. Um, remember some fine details too. I mm-hmm. think that, that yeah, I, I was curious about it. That's a, a great description of it. And I can see how it would be a useful tool. Well, sadly, our time is running down. It always does, especially when we get on a topic that I just love and I want more and more and more. So before we go, before we sign off, I want to offer you a chance to tell our listeners what they will find if they visit your website, what services you offer, and please tell them also about your podcast. I will. And before, I should actually, I'm going to, because you didn't ask this question, I'm going to answer it because it's very important for people. It's one of the reasons why I went back to school. And it's, why do some people have dreams and other people don't of the deceased? Okay. And so I replicated the research with that because some people will will have these dreams and if they're, said they're a little jealous or if they're spiritual, they may say that the deceased may not have crossed over or okay. that they're mad at them because they had to like do something or sell the car. Um, or maybe the afterlife, they just forget about them. So they complicate their grief through that. And so I want to give them a scientific explanation. That maybe it's something else. Okay, and so good. after doing the research and looking at a ton of different variables, well, what was found was that dream recall frequency was the most important factor of remembering one of these types of dreams. And so what it's saying for people is that the more dreams you remember in general, the more likely you're going to remember one of these types of dreams. And so this is why I sort of suggest that we're probably dreaming of the disease more than we're actually remembering it because of that data. And so when I ask people now, if they don't haven't had a dream and they come up to me and say, I want a dream, I say, you know, 
how often do you remember your dreams? And most people will say not very often. So it just connects the dots and you can see this right. weight come off people because now they're not putting that pressure on themselves. Right. And so that allows them then, and there are ways to increase your dream recall if you remember your dreams. And I think our culture is really bad at promoting the value of dreams. And so people, why would the mind remember something that someone doesn't think is valuable? Right. And that's sort of the big question there. And so what you do is to increase your recall, what's going to happen is you just value your dreams. Either listening to the podcast, this may, you know, he's listening to this may spark some interest. Mm -hmm. Keeping a dream diary is pretty important too. Okay. And all that is you're telling yourself that you want to remember these dreams. And the mind's really good when you give it some type of direction on, on what to do. I'll, I'll help you with that. And you'll sort of see, and I will sort of put a caveat out there because you're grieving and just because you're living in the pandemic, you're probably going to have more negative dreams in general. And just to be aware of that and just understand that those are tools to help us understand, you know, how, what we're processing and uh, in waking life. That's great information. It really is. Thank you for that. All right. So now I'll go on to the ending. All right. Now it's your turn. <laughs> So people can find more about the topic at griefdreams.ca. There's a lot of information on there from common questions I have. If people have issues with trying to understand dreams, I provide one-on-one -on -one grief dreams consultation. So that's on there. Also, if people want to learn more about the topic in general, if you're working with the breed or you just have an interest in education, there's a online course on there. It's basically a training program. It's nine and a half hours. And then there's also an additional add-on if you want for one-on-one -on -one additional training with me so that's like a great way for people all around the world to be able to learn more about this stuff and then you know if people want to follow the grief dreams podcast we always have people on that have had a dream and so they talk about their life loss and then the dreams that have been meaningful in them and then you know other social media if you're just on there all the time i love instagram i always post different dreams that people share so that's a, a beautiful platform for that Twitter, I have a Facebook group uh, that you can actually post your dreams and hear more dreams about others. Well, so I got, I got, oh, I just joined Clubhouse. <laughs> <Keeps going. laughs> I think he's the last one. So just joined Clubhouse, and which is really nice because I'm going to start doing uh, live question and answer periods there on so that we have, I have two groups. One's called Grief Dreams and the other one's called Grief Cafe. So oh. I think that's everything. And it's all also on the website. You just go there and you'll be able to have a fun time searching around. Okay, well, there is one more thing I noted on your website, and I have to mention it again because it involves children, and that is your book, Dreaming of Owl. So I have a copy on the way. We recently hosted another guest who did an excellent book about remembering and looking for signs of our departed. So I think Dreaming of Owl has also become a favorite of mine as well. I love the interesting and creative ways to interact with children regarding grief. And I think it's so, so important as we go forward. Me, t me too. It's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're gonna, you're gonna read it. Yeah, it's a digital, it's only available digitally right now. Yeah. But hopefully, well, like, as we move forward, that can turn to a hardcover. Yeah. Book. Yeah. Well, there's actually two books, right? One is Remembering yeah. Owl and the other is Dreaming of Owl oh. series. So I hope I've piqued some curiosity out there among our listeners. Dr. Black, thank you so much today for joining us. I, I find my mind racing now with this whole concept of grief dreams and, and everything. So I'm going to do a little bit more research and everything. And who knows where it goes at some point, we'd love to have you back again, but let's see how our schedules go and uh, you know, where life takes us all. So to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again next week as we continue to live and grieve. 
Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.